Let's read from verse 13. John 19, verse 13. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover. And about the sixth hour, he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him, one on either side, one, pardon me, one with him, two with him, on either side, one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh unto the city and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Let's pray. Father, again, we ask you to take your word and inscribe it to every single heart and glorify your son. Strengthen your people. Lord, we receive all that you give us. We believe all you say to us and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, last couple of weeks we were uh, speaking on the blood. The blood still speaks, and let the blood speak were the two titles. We want to speak on the events in, around Jerusalem the night of our Lord's arrest and crucifixion. So we want to look at that this morning. We want to take our time. I want, to, I, I want the Lord, uh, I want you to grasp hold of what the Lord has done. I want us to get a fresh look at this. I want it to become real to us again. Not a ritual where we come in, we break bread, and we drink from the cup, and that's just it. We, I, I want the Lord, I'm asking the Lord, to draw us and to close us in, to bring it fresh to us, that our hearts will be renewed, that we'll grow in love with him all over again. Our love is oft times low. Our joy still ebbs and flows. Peace with him remains the same. No change. Jehovah knows. What a night it would have been around Jerusalem. There are five things. We, we, we'll probably not get to them. We might do a second morning. We'll see in the Lord's will. But there are five places I want to look at or to mention to you. And we're going to stop, start maybe across them this morning. And they all begin with the letter G. The first one is the garden, or Gethsemane. Garden or Gethsemane. The second one is Gabbatha. It's in our reading, Gabbatha. The third one is Golgotha. Golgotha, where he was crucified. The fourth one is the grave, the sepulcher, the grave where he was buried. And the fifth one is glory where he was raised from the dead and he ascended to be at the right hand of the Father. Glory. 
So there are the five. We'll not look at them all today because we take too long. We may do a second one, but you could do a study on those and find those things out for yourself. But I want us to zoom in, if we can, on the night of, of Jerusalem in general. Here is the Passover is about to happen. Uh, reminiscent of Exodus chapter 12 when uh, Moses told Israel, as the Lord told Moses, to take the blood of the lamb and to uh, put the blood on the doorposts and the door lintels of the house. And when God was passing through Egypt that, uh, and the firstborn would die, he says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And this was Passover night. I want us to get a, a I want us to try and come right down to brass tacks, as it were. Right to ground level here, instead of having some lofty view of everything must have been just so wonderful to be there. I think it would have been an awesome sight in the sense it would be terrible. What a night it would have been for all the people there, because you see, because it was Passover, thousands upon thousands of thousands of people would come. Thousands of priests would be there. The Levitical priesthood and the Pharisees would be there and the Sadducees and the Herodians and, and all manner of people would have come down. The scribes would be there. And this Jerusalem was jam-packed with people, the walls of Jerusalem, inside the city walls. And what happened was there was an overflow or an overspill for people who couldn't get, as it were, booked in. And what they would have done was stayed on the outside villages and towns and traveled in and out. And so hence we find our Lord Jesus when he was there. Remember, he, he stayed in Bethany. And, and then he traveled in and out of Jerusalem. It's a couple of miles or so. And here he travels in and out. But this night in Jerusalem, and the title of this, this, is, is, of this morning's message is When Jerusalem Became the Unholy City. When Jerusalem Became the Unholy City. Now, Jerusalem had become an unholy city way before this night, but this was the apex and the pinnacle of it because they had, as Jesus said, they, they, they worried more about, about the outward workings and the, the washing of, of the flesh and the pots and the pans and, and all the instruments. But inside, he says to the Pharisees, you're like uh, uh, whited sepulchers. In other words, you're like the, the, the tombs of the dead. Inside you are full of dead men's bones. And that's the leadership of Jewry at this time. That's the leadership of the temple. And Jesus is saying that. So they had become unholy a long time ago. And they brought Babylonian Talmudism into their teachings. And they lent more on what other uh, rabbis said rather than what the word of God said. And now Christ is in the city. He's in the midst of them. And it's Passover. And all the religious furore is happening. There's an excitement and there's a big build-up. Everybody's looking forward to this time. What a relief it would be for them because they're at the place in their own hearts and minds. Well, we're doing what God said, but everything that God said was, was buried under everything that man had said and what man had placed on them. They couldn't keep it. They couldn't do it. And they were so burdened with it. Jesus comes along and he's saying to them, come on to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. 
He's saying, all of this, you can't do this. And we use that because when we're burdened, and that's true, we can give our, uh, our, our problems and our, our labors, our, all the things that come against us to God and trust in him. First of all, Jerusalem would have been full of excitement and there's a great anticipation in the air, if you want. And, and those who had journeyed had come with their lamb because in Exodus 12, it was a lamb for a house, you see. The people would eat the lamb, roast it and eat it, put bitter herbs on it. And that's more study for another time. But they would have been doing this and really all of these lambs, thousands of them, thousands and thousands of lambs. Think of it, the blood being shed of thousands of thousands of lambs. And, and they're sitting there unnoticed by the vast majority of the people. And the, the rest who do notice him are those who hate him and want him dead or those few disciples who say they love him but would leave him. And here we find that night the people are bringing their lamb. Think of the gallons and the gallons of blood. It's, it's unimaginable. And yet all of it wouldn't pay for the debt of their sin. And the lamb of God is sitting in their midst. And this is the night, or the apex of it, but let's keep it simple. This is the night when Jerusalem became the unholy city. Unholy because they rejected the only one that's holy. They rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the final Lamb. They rejected His blood. I trust this morning there's no one in here is looking for, as it were, the works of the Lamb's blood rather than the Lamb's blood. Calvary's Lamb. So people were walking back and forward and they're going to the temple and remember it was, they said of Herod's temple, 40 and 6 years it took in the building of this temple. This edifice probably would have took up all of this block, away over to the far block. I, I mean, this thing is massive. Sitting on the hill, white walls, and it would have been sort of like a golden gates and all of these things. And when the, the sun hit it at the top of the hill, it would have shone for miles. See, a city on a hill cannot, a, a, a city on a hill that cannot be hid. That's the idea of it. Shone for miles. And the people look more to the temple than to the Lord. They look more to the temple sacrifice and their, their works and their doings and to the commandments of God. That's happening in religion today. That's happening in Christianity today. Everything else but Jesus. Everything else but the blood. Everything else but his sacrifice. It's Jesus plus our works or Jesus stuck in the side there somewhere. He's somewhere along there. But it's Christ and Christ alone. It's the blood of Jesus and nothing else. No works, no arms, no deeds. Nothing else. It's what can wash away my sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Here we find that if you were to go to the, we'll go, well, you can go if you want for a few moments. We, we go to the book of Psalms and we have what's known as the Songs of Degrees. The Songs of Degrees, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, 15 Songs of Degrees. And what they did 
was as they were ascending up, the priests would have been singing it and the people would have sang along with them. And the night before, it is believed that people sat and sang these as a way of a practice to ascend the hill of the Lord into the temple. And the priests were going up in all this pomp and ceremony, and yet it could not cleanse them from their sin. And the one who could is sitting in a little house in Bethany. It may be that, and look, it has to be as if you want sanctified imagination. And I've read other writers who think this too, but it may be while Jesus is sitting in that house. And think about this now. While Jesus is sitting in that house in Bethany, and the people are traveling in and out of Jerusalem all day, and, and while he's around that area, he's hearing people more than likely rehearsing the songs of degrees, Psalm 120 to 134. And it's about, it's about Israel, it's about, their, it's about their plight, it's about their help. And, and he's there, the lamb, with Calvary. Think about it. It's a song about their help and they're all getting ready, they're all joyful, great anticipation and excitement and they're looking forward to the slaying of the lambs. He's hearing this, knowing that he is that lamb sitting on his own with disciples wondering who's going to be the biggest and the best in the kingdom. Oh, God forgive us. And he's sitting there The people in their thousands are joyful and thinking, oh, what a great time. We've looked forward to this Passover. And there he sits with his own thoughts. For example, if you want to turn to Psalm 120, just for example, we haven't time to go through all of these. The Song of Degrees from 120 to 134 so there's 15 psalms there. And the songs of the Greeks are what's known in, uh, they are broken up into um, five groups of three. Fifteen, obviously. They're broken into five groups of three. But let me just show you how these would go. And think about, this is Passover. This is them speaking, uh, practicing, rehearsing for the lamb that would be slain. And Christ is no doubt has been hearing all of this. And the enormity, the immensity, uh, the, the, the whole weight of it is upon him. Remember, he's a man of very man. He's God of very God of very God. But he's man of very man like you and like me. He's a human being. With all of our aches and pains. And he's one who would feel pain like you feel pain. And feel the hurt of it and the agony of it like you and I would feel. And he's sitting listening to this knowing he is that lamb. For example, Psalm 120, verse 1 and 2. I'll just skip across this, and you can read them when you go home. Remember, they're broken into five groups of three. First of all, you can write a psalm or a cry of distress. This is how it starts. Israel are starting to cry distress. This is meant to be for the Hebraic, true Israelitish worship before it became mongrelized and everything else. 
Psalm 120 verse 1 says, In distress I cried unto the Lord and he heard me. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that beautiful? In distress I cried. Have you got a distress this morning? Are you in distress this morning? Have you something that you just can't shake this morning? A fear, a worry, an anxiety, a doubting? Listen, he says, In distress I cried unto the Lord and he heard me. Verse 2. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from the deceitful tongue. So here we have a psalm of or a cry of distress. Look at Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. Here is a, a, a song of degree again, but it's a de- declaration of trust. A cry of distress. Now it's a declaration of trust. For example, Psalm 121 and verse 1. I lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. Hey, my help cometh from the Lord. Notice that. I lift up my eyes from whence cometh my help. Verse 2, my help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. Here we have, the, they're, they're practicing this. They're going thinking we're having our sins forgiven. We're going to appease God with a blood offering. And the Lamb of God is there all the time. Notice here, the third one we'll do, and we'll move on, Psalm 122. The Psalm 122, this is the first batch of three. Notice this. Going up to the temple, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Can you see the change in them? This is a a, a song of degree or a psalm of triumph now. A song of triumph. They're going from distress to triumph. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And we can see here, you can read on there, we haven't time to go through it all. So as they sing, they're rehearsing this more than likely. And there's the place is overwhelmed with people. It's hard to believe the amount of people that they would have got into Jerusalem and even the little areas around about them. In fact, there were so many people as well because of the, the whited sepulchres we talk, talked about. They used to come out with like a whitewash and whitewash the tombs. Do you know why? Because in the dark, if anyone walked into it and bumped into it, they were unclean and they couldn't partake. Yet they were full of dead men's bones. In other words, some, so many people are coming down. Someone might take a shortcut and they cut across and there's a little tomb and it wasn't painted white. They shine in the moonlight so people could be warned away from it and they touch it. They become ceremonially unclean before God. They become like the, the whited sepulchers with the dead men's bones in it. And brothers and sisters, do you see whenever you're hanging around with do you see when you're, you're spending time with and when you're in fellowship with, or even if you're sitting under a leadership with and they're like whited sepulchers and they're full of pomp, ceremony, law and religion and they're full of dead men's bones, you know what happens to you? You become like them. You become like them. Here we'll find... Here we find them walking around Jerusalem, around Bethany, and all around that area. And as they do, practicing and all the way, all the way, Jesus is in their midst, the Lamb of God. What was his mind like? 
Think about this. He's sitting there. He's there. The beautiful Lamb of God. The spotless, sinless, holy, impeccable Son. And people are about their business as if, well, I've got my religion. I'm doing my church thing. And the Lamb of God is there all the time. What was his mind going through? Calvary. The weight of sin. Is it any wonder by the time he gets to Golgotha, he's crying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He did not know what it was like to have broken fellowship with his father. He didn't know what it was like to have sin placed upon him. What is this? Oh, God, forgive us. Thank you, Jesus. Notice, first of all, we're told that our Lord in the, the night when, or when he was betrayed goes to the upper room and he breaks bread. And if you're thinking like I'm thinking, as he's breaking that bread, he sings what's known as the great Hallel. The great Hallelujah. Said to be Psalm 113. Write to Psalm 118. Listen, without. Like when we are singing, we have it on PowerPoint. Or we have, some have hymn books or we have it on sheets or whatever. He sang it from his heart and memory. And I can't go in there. I'll do it another time. The great hallel is a great hallelujah. And every time, even you hear the ungodly saying, oh, hallelujah. And they're saying it as if, oh, well, I'm glad that's over. Glad that's happened. Oh, you fancy it caught on. You know, it's a, a hallelujah. And do you know something? Do you know they're praising God? It's the hallel, the praise of Yah, the praise of Jehovah. Here's something else for you to take note. Do you know we were singing earlier, it's your breath and our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only? Do you know even the ungodly and those who are against you, whether wherever it may be, and those who come to, uh, to try and deflate you, to try and argue with you, to try and even be violent against you, who denounce the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you know when they're breathing, they're actually praising God? We'll look at it maybe next week. We may, may get to it there this morning because I've went off course, as you know. This is the way the, or pardon me, the lettering would read in the Hebrew for the name of Yahweh. It's Yorhi Vahe. Or we would say Y-H-V or W-H. No vowels in the Hebrew. And this is the way it is when it's breathed. The, word, the name was, uh, was unpronounceable, so they, this is the closest way we get. And this is the way it goes. Yahweh. Yahweh. We got it, yeah? Yahweh. I'm told that's the sound of our very breath and breathing is the name Yahweh. 
It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our prayers. The ungodly sitting and work, I don't believe in God. Every breath they take, they're going, Go to the doctors and a stethoscope on and they're listening to their chest. Breathe in. And And they tell you that in the Hebrew. That's how it is spelt. They couldn't pronounce it. It was the breath of God. The Christ-haters can't live without breathing the name of God. The Lord Jesus here, he breaks bread with his disciples in that upper room. And then he goes to the garden, Gethsemane. Now Gethsemane is the place where the olives were made. Gethsemane, really in the Arabic name actually is, it means olive press. Olive press. I want you to think about this. When Jesus was there, Dr. Luke tells us in his account that Jesus sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. It says he went a little further and he fell on his face. He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood to the ground. Sometimes the English, sometimes the English doesn't do it justice in the original Greek text. This is the way it reads. He goes a little further and he falls on his face and it means, and he gets up again. And he falls down and he gets up again. And he falls down and he gets up again. And he's falling down and he's getting up and he's falling down. Father, you get the picture. You get the picture of the beautiful Christ. He's getting up under the weight of it. He's falling and he's getting up again. Oh, the courageous Christ. The beautiful Christ. He's getting up. He's falling down. That's the way it reads. It's it's an improper verb where he's getting up and falling down. He's getting up and he's falling down. Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. In the garden... In Gethsemane, the oil press. I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, God's pure olive, an olive was a symbol of Israel. God's pure Israelite, God's pure olive was crushed in the garden. In the olive press. And the fruitful oil, he sweat as it were, like great drops of blood. Brothers and sisters, if we stop there this morning, that's enough to love him more. And where was his disciples? They fell asleep. Fell asleep on him. We notice here that the Lord Jesus is arrested in the garden. And he's taken then to Gabbatha. To Gabbatha. And here in our reading, 
we find in John 19 and verse 13, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and, and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. In the Hebrew, it's called Gabbatha. Brothers and sisters, here's what I want to put to you. He went from Gethsemane. He's went to Annas and Caiaphas, the pilot, the herd, back to pilot again. He's up all night. He's, he's exhausted. He's wearied. He's tired. He's, he's went through the singing of the songs and, and all that mental crushing. Now he's taken to a judgment seat. Imagine Christ being judged. He takes him to the place called the pavement or Gabbatha. I know some of you have been there and you have seen that. And here he allows a sinful, guilty pagan. Notice this. A sinful, guilty pagan to judge him. And he allows an apostate Jewish mob to bring evidence, false evidence against him. Notice here, the word here for Gabbatha, it gives the idea of a, a tiled area, stoned, paved stoned area. So the pavement um, is Greek. And the Hebrew equivalent is found, and you can read it for time's sake, uh, the Hebrew equivalent is found in Second Kings chapter 6. And if you want to read there, you'll find that the king, listen, the king of uh, Rezin, the king of Syria, and the king of Israel joined together to fight the king of the Jews in Judah. So Israel are fighting the Jews. So you thought all the Jews were Israel, didn't you? Read it when you go home. And Israel are fighting the Jews. And the king in Jerusalem, he takes the things. After going out to meet them, to try and bring some sort of bartering with them. He takes all the lovely things of the temple. He starts tearing them down to hide them and put them away. Look, I'm becoming more like you. He becomes apostate. And it says he brings them out. You know where he puts them? It says, on the pavement. On the pavement. That's the Hebrew equivalent to this one here, the pavement. If you would read that, it gives us the idea that here Christ, the beautiful of God, the temple of God, God in flesh, the Son of God, the beautiful, the sinless, that which is precious and holy to God, like the temple and the things in the temple that represented Christ, he's taken out like they were taken out because of the Jews and placed on the pavement. Now judge for yourselves, brothers and sisters. This night is when Jerusalem became the unholy city. And here, this man, Pilate, he judged our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He judged him. You know what the Lord Jesus said in John 14 and 30? He said to his disciples, the prince of this world, the devil in other words, and and those whom he is working through, in other words, he uses people, he motivates people to do their worst. And he says, the, the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. He says, there's nothing they'll find worthy or guilty for death. And Pilate questions him. Pilate interrogates him. And Pilate comes and asks him all of these questions. And we're told, listen, we're told in John 19 and verse 5. He brings Jesus out and he says, Behold the man! You know, we, we have this some of these nice little Hollywood movies and they have this man with hardly a mark on him, maybe a little trickle running down him with a lovely little crown of thorns coming out and maybe Pilate would say, behold the man, very politely. That's not how it reads. And that's not what happened. The word here for behold the man is the word idea. Idea. And it's also found in when John the Baptist in 1 John one twenty nine cried, Behold the Lamb of God, he cries, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. People think, well, isn't that great? That's not the way it reads either. And then in Mark chapter 11 and verse 21, it's, it's also used when Peter is walking in and out of Jerusalem that week with the Lord Jesus. Remember, Jesus goes to pick the fruit off the fig tree, finds none and curses the tree. And then they're walking by it, and Jesus says, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest. Remember that? That's not how, it's not just behold. The word doesn't give that idea. It gives the idea of a constant repetitiveness and a sounding alarm here. So Peter's walking along, sees the tree, can't believe his eyes, he goes, Master, look, look, look! That's the way it reads. Look at the tree you cursed! That's the way it reads. John the Baptist was shouting to the crowd. He's in the River Jordan. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold! Behold the Lamb of God! Behold the Lamb of God! That's the way it reads. Behold the Lamb of God. It's not like that. I can tell you, our cry church should be, Behold the Lamb of God! Behold the Lamb of God! Pilate brings him forth, behold the man. And this is the way it reads. It's as though this bloodied, mutilated figure, he brings him to the, to the Jews and the Pharisees and he says, behold the man. In other words, look at him. Look at him. Has he not went through enough? Behold the man, look at him. Brother, sister, take a fresh look this morning. Brother, sister, look at him. And behold him. And after it all, they cried away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. The word here in John 19 and 13, judgment seat is called the pavement in the Hebrews, Gabbatha. As I said, it's a, it's a raised area. And the Greek, as I said, is similar. It gives a, 
a stoned or a tiled area. But it's also used here, the seat is also used here, the judgment seat, where it says there's a judgment seat of Christ. Paul writes, and you can look, write it down and look at it later, Romans 14 and 10 and 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And he's speaking to the believers. Look at me for a minute. I'm not an oil painting, but please look at me for a minute. Draw in. Draw close. Please draw close. Paul is saying, listen, believer, this is all airy, furry, I'll fly away. We're all going to glory land here. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And it's twice in the scripture. We must all appear, every one of us. You hear some of these preachers nowadays, you can live like a devil and still be, be called Christ your Savior. Every one of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of the things done in the body to the church. That's believers. It's the Bema seat. It's not loss of salvation here. But it can be gain or loss of reward. I don't want to stand before him. I really don't. I don't want to stand before him ashamed of the things I did or didn't do. I don't want that to be said to me. So when we look here at Golgotha, and we're going to have to stop. Golgotha is mentioned three times in scriptures, and we always talk about Calvary. We sing about Calvary. Calvary is only mentioned once. And Calvary is actually the Latin, but Golgotha is the Hebrew. A condemned criminal had a board written around his neck. And this is what they've done with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let your eye run down our reading, please. And let your eye run down. Verse 19. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on on the cross. And And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now listen. Jesus is carrying this with a sweat sign on it. And the reason they done it with the criminal was, it, it, it shamed the family. This was the family name. It made the crime even worse. When Pilate wrote this, this is the way it would have read in the Hebrew inscription. You ready? It would have wrote, Yahshua, Hanozri, Humalak, Haihudum. Whenever a lamb was brought to the Passover, you ready? I'm going to explain that in a minute. This is our closing point. When a lamb was brought to the Passover, the family name then was put over them too, over the lamb, tied around the lamb. And the family name here is our offering, Lord. This is for the Davidson family here. And the lamb had the Davidson name. This is the Davidson's. And that was, oh, they have brought their sacrifice in. They have brought their lamb. They have, and that's what they did. And when Pilate was writing this, he was writing it on two occasions. One, to call him a criminal, even though he was innocent and found 
nothing worthy of death in him. But secondly, because he was the Lamb of God. Unwittingly. And it wrote Yeshua. That's the letter. It begins with the letter Y in the Hebrew. Ready? Hanosri begins with the letter H. Chwomalak begins with the letter W. And Hayundum begins with the letter H. Y, H, W, H. Weren't we on it a little moment ago? They didn't even know it. He had his father's name with him. Yahweh. And he's Yahweh's lamb. Brothers and sisters, they led him to Golgotha. He went bearing his cross. They led him on the cross. He died and they led him in a tomb. They led him in a tomb. They thought he was done. He had cried it as finished on the cross. But he didn't say, I am finished. He said it was finished. Thank God for the blood of his son. For the blood of the lamb. What a saviour. What a Christ. What a God. You know, the plot of the crown of thorns, that was the curse of the earth. The Lord in Genesis says, thorns and thistles shall come up. The curse of the earth driven into his head. His blessed, beautiful bride. And we're told in heaven, he hasn't got a crown of thorns. He's got a crown upon his head. It's like that hymn writer wrote, uh, Thomas Kelly. The head that once was crowned with thorns. Who knows that? I might going to have to do a solo this morning again. The head that once was crowned with thorns Is crowned with glory now Is crowned with glory now A royal diadem adorns the mighty victor's bride, the mighty victor's bride. He lives, he lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. He lives, he lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. Praise him this morning, church. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Team, would you come up for us this morning and we'll sing as we prepare to go home and the Lord bless you all.